From the world of AV programming and control with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. Hey, James, how are you today? I'm doing great. And yourself, Steve? I'm doing well. Um, gl glad to be back for another uh, show. And we have a, a guest that we both have gotten to meet on other podcasts and I've known for quite some time. And uh, without further ado, I'll uh, introduce Brian McGrogan from Verex. Welcome, Brian. Hi, Steve. Hi, James. Thank you guys very much for having me. Looking forward to a, a great conversation today. So are we. We appreciate you being here. And so um, I actually got to know Brian quite a number of years ago when when I was doing programming and and um, he was learning programming, I think, at the time. And we uh, got to work side by side on a few systems at, at Verex. And um, it was uh, pretty neat. And and I've, I've um, seen his career uh, take a couple of different turns over time. And I let you, uh, Brian, give us a bit of uh, background and history on that yeah so i mean I, I i was thinking about it steve when you sent over the stuff earlier and it was like wow i looked at the the date and i was like next year will be 20 years in the industry so it's uh oh and trying to think back over all the things we've done you know i started as a on-site support technician back in 2004 just helping people set up their meetings kind of be in tier two support of if a room goes down let's go figure out what's going on and kind of learning the ropes right from the very beginning and uh progressing from there the uh i wasn't so much the uh <clears throat> shirt and tie type of person in the office every single day in front of everybody i like to get my hands dirty i like to you know actually like work with my hands and do different things so i grew out of that on-site role and into a, a a lead tech role and doing installations and doing different things and uh grew to uh, a senior tech where I was actually supervising other techs, bring, bringing jobs to uh, um, bring jobs all the way through. Love programming for a very long time since way before that. Um, I think back in high school, I worked in the media lab for a while. I worked in the computer lab for a while, always playing around, always doing different things, learn basic and C and the visual basic and always played there. Um, and as the, when I was commissioning projects, the last step was always the programmer would come to site and it was like sometimes i would be in in good shape and i'd be there waiting for a half a day or a day for the programmer i was like well why don't i just do this myself too like let's let's do this and so finally i convinced the programmer can i just have the source code like i'll run through it i'll test everything and do it all and make sure that it's all good if it needs any tweaks i'll talk to you before i make them or I'll let you make them and send them back to me and uh before you knew it i was doing that too so and then uh, I think when I was when I was trying to look at my timeline and figure it out, it was like 2008 or so, I finally took the role and stepped into an actual programmer role. Um, and uh, that was great. That was an awesome move. I, I took a leap of faith. I moved from Boston to New Jersey for it to come to the Varix corporate headquarters. And uh, it was it was great. It was really, really awesome. We went from having just a single programmer, having to outsource um you know, probably half the jobs at least to, we were able to take on pretty much everything internally, which was a lot of fun. It was, it was a challenge, but it was really, really good. Um, and uh, grew a lot there, learned a lot, was always kind of tempted and interested by the manufacturer side of the house. I'm also a networking guy. I love my computers. I love networks, love all of that. So an opportunity arose there to jump to Crestron into the fusion support group working a lot of networking also get to keep my hands on the programming 
you know, teaching people how to actually program for Fusion, but also deploy it, do the server side. That was a lot of fun. Really love that. Um, and then uh, when I was thinking back through this, it, it's so interesting just to think of the arc and the the different ways that things happened. You know, when I was younger, and even when my wife and I were first married, traveling was no problem. It was a lot of fun, actually. You go meet different people, see different places. But all of a sudden, when our first daughter came along, it was like, oh, wait, hold on. I need to be home. <laughs> I need to be home on a regular schedule. So I uh, I tried to to shift gears a little bit and move into a software engineer role at Crestron where I would be home more and I wouldn't have to travel very much. And then all of a sudden, that role had to travel a lot. And so... I got very lucky. Varix knocked on my door and, you know, we're, we're looking to bring in a third person. We're looking for somebody who has some networking skills as well. Cause we feel that's a, that's a place that we, where, where things are going. We need some help there. Uh, and we'll let you be fully remote. So you can be home all the time. I was like, okay, great. I love it. So, and I came back and I've been back for seven and a half years, I think now going on eight and it's fantastic. So even before the pandemic, 100% remote, we travel when we need to travel, but, you know, we do it very sparingly. So that's that's always helpful from the family side of things um, and, uh, and making sure we're there. And I think it honestly, it helps us because, you know, we can work on multiple things at one time. Um, and that for me, I like staying busy. I like being busy. I like helping multiple people and getting uh, multiple things going. And so that's that's helpful when I'm when I travel. I can really truly only work on one thing at a time. You know, I might go back to the hotel room at night and and work on something else, but during the day I can't can't get multiple things in. So it's kind of where I started and, and kind of where I where I got to. Um, but it, it was a lot of fun. So it's been a it's been an interesting 19, almost 20 years. Wow. That's uh and and I I can say I hope I wasn't one of the ones that you were waiting on to have programs uh, delivered, not, but not but I do remember off. when you were asking, "Hey, can I see what this looks like?" And so I, I actually vividly remember that. So and I remember us working together at the Verex shop um, many many yeah. years ago. You know, it, it's interesting because that's one of the ways that I learn is to pick things apart and take a look and see and to break it and to you know, I, I think I forget exactly when it was, but. I was always intrigued by Crestron in the box. And I was like, hey, purchasing, can I buy a CP2E, please? Pretty please. And they reached out to Crestron and said, can we get an extra discount for an employee to buy one for their own so they can learn? Like, yeah, sure, no problem. And I would just sit there at night, again, way before having a family. Now I would just sit there and I would program and I would do different things and see. And yeah, I think in in one of your previous episodes, when Rich was on, I was, I was listening to Rich talk about it and he would do this at night and he would program uh, chess or checkers or something. And at the end of the night, when he shut down, it was gone. <laughs> so, you know, a little, little bit beyond that in terms of we could just keep going the next day. But yeah, I, I would, I do it for hours and hours and hours and hours. So, and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. So, but, but you know, I never, never got in the situation waiting on you guys at all. So I appreciate that, <laughs> but I'm glad we were part of your history. So that, yeah. that's really neat. Yeah, it's nice. And it's always, honestly, it's great to learn from people. It, it's it's a wonderful industry in that nature, how, you know, I learned a lot from you. I learned a lot from your team and, you know, everything. And I, I learn a lot from my team now. You know, I hope I impart knowledge on them and they impart knowledge on me. And it it's uh, it's wonderful in the industry how we kind of handle that, hand that around. Um, and everybody's kind of always learning, which is great. 
Very cool. I, um, James, uh, I'll kind of bring you into the conversation on this. What What are your thoughts about um, you know, the the idea of being you know hands on versus being remote and and that 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 type of uh, um, arrangement? Because I think that it could be looked at both ways. Uh, yeah, both ways have their pros and the cons. I I like being hands on. Um, I'm I'll admit I'm very timid on remote and that's because i almost myself almost caused an issue um because story was early on um my coworker and i were updating code for one of our buildings a remote building he was on site i was remote and he would go into the room say hey i'm in this room i would send the code he would test it say hey everything's good and we would move on well, we were getting down to the last room. It was coming up to quitting time. I haven't heard from him. And I'm waiting. And knock on wood, I'm, all my code's been working. I'm waiting and waiting. I haven't heard from him. So I, I text him. I'm like, hey, can I send code? I heard nothing. I'm like, you know what? It's 4 o'clock. I'm sending code. So I text him. I'm sending code. Hit the send button. I get a text back. No, no, no. The president is speaking. Oh boy. I'm like too late. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. Luckily it's just a simple reboot. Everything came back up. I, I, there was no issues or anything, which was great, but yeah, I, I totally forgot that he was there also supporting an event that our president was speaking at. And yeah, I sent that in the middle of him giving his presentation. Hey, it worked out though in the end, right? Like, it did, but from now on, when I, I send code, I'm always make sure I'm in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I always pull up the X panel. I always take a look at however I can look in the space, make sure it's good. I'm I'm pretty lucky in that fashion. You know, we generally have a tech there, like like you did. You know, and I don't necessarily push the code. I I'll jump on their laptop if they need help doing it, and use that as a teaching opportunity so that so that I'm not the one pushing code remotely. But uh, but yeah. <laughs> That I can I can understand how that might sour it a little bit and be like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. that could have gone real sideways real bad oh yeah and like I said everything worked so that was all good but and there's sometimes I'll do things remote um, but I try as much as I can to do be in person Brian one of the things I wanted to get into because I find this fascinating you know being a third party and working with different integrators is that a programmer. A lot of times, in in integration companies, they're they're the programmer, but they're also maybe the the person who commissions the system, or the person who is you know, does some field engineering, or is the QC. And um, talk a little bit about that because a lot of times it's it's not really always that clear um, because we've come in to fill a programmer's role and and. We've been said, told, like, what do you mean you're not going to do these other things? That's what our programmer usually does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it's quite interesting. And for me, I don't want to say I'm a control freak, but I do like to have control over stuff. So I I enjoy that. I enjoy knowing the steps in the process. And I feel like I feel like just from my own knowledge base and and knowing what I'm doing thoroughly. I, I like to have that knowledge of every step in the process. You know, I like to be involved in the design phase, you know, when we're putting the sketches together and, you know, not obviously not in the fabrication phase, but when it hits QA, 
you know, I like to be involved there and how we're setting it up, how we're bringing it online, getting it loaded. Um, but yeah, you know, why I was thinking about it versus like, you know, when I was an on-site tech or, or an installation tech, the programmer would provide code to our office, to our QA guys, our QA guys would test it all, come back with them with a punch list. If I push this button, this doesn't work. You know, this display doesn't turn on whatever they, you know, come boom, come back through, um, give them a rev for code. Same thing when I hit the field, you know, I give them a punch list, get it back, but we did all of it. Um, on the, from the tech level, it's just the programmer, you know, providing updates to code. Now, you know, we do firmware, we review the DSP files, we go back to the engineers with changes, sometimes wiring changes. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do everything. I, I was actually just having a conversation with my counterpart yesterday. We're doing more and more VC4 deployments and he doesn't particularly like it because we're so responsible for it. You know, not, there aren't really a whole lot of people uh, at our company that, that truly understand the, the underworkings of it all. Um, and so it just kind of falls in our wheelhouse, but I, I do kind of feel like I have to be a Jack of all trades. And I, I always, that, that term kind of gets me a little bit because Jack of all trades, master of none. But like, I, I like to feel like I can really dig into my role and know enough about every other role to be helpful there too. But yeah, we, we do kind of touch everything along the way. I, I would say that kind of defines the role of a programmer for sure. And, it, but, you know, and, and I mean, I've always been impressed with the way Varex goes about things. Many other companies are, are not as disciplined and regimented. So you're, you're lucky in that regard. Yeah, for sure. We, we do put a lot of effort into that, right? We put our, we try to put our best people everywhere. Obviously you want your best, best people everywhere, but you know, we, we know that there are certain points in the process where you have to be our best, right? And QA being probably one of the biggest pieces, because that's where in a controlled environment, we can catch so much stuff. And, you know, probably an hour spent in our quality assurance department versus the field is probably four hours easily. You know, I, I have guys there that I know and trust that have been doing this, you know, same as me, like our one of our lead QA tech was originally our delivery driver. And he's just the same kind of, you know, just enjoys this, enjoys getting dirty and everything and working on it. And when when he comes to me and says, this display isn't working, I know he's already nulled it. I know he's already tried a different cable. You know, I know that he's checked the the port on the uh on the endpoint to see. I don't have to I don't have to second guess him on that kind of stuff. I know he's already done it all. So you know it's it's those type of things. Cause then when I know when it leaves the shop and it gets to the field and they say the display doesn't work, I can say, okay, this worked in the shop. Let's walk through this stuff. So, but yeah, we, we, I, I, I do really like our process and the way that it works out for the most part. There's, there's always holes that, that happen, but I think that happens everywhere. Absolutely. I, um, James, do you think that from that outsiders understand these things about programmers and and what goes into making a programmer successful but but more importantly like what are uh, we always we, we've had conversations before on, on this show and others about what is the value of programmers or what where what where um will they continue to be needed i think what brian said um speaks a lot to that yeah and no i don't think outsiders really know what programming does uh, it, it's still kind of like av um like outside people outside of av doesn't 
understand AV. Like when we show them the cost of something, they're like, well, I can go to Walmart and get it for a third of that price, if not much more or less, but they don't understand. And I, I think not just us program, but even Navy, we, we need to continue to show where we bring the value. Um, and yeah, people aren't going to understand. They're not going to realize what it takes until we can say, hey, we can solve that problem for you. We can make, you know, you picking up 10 different remotes, we can have it, you hit one button. And when we can show that, demonstrate that, um, and then that becomes the valuable to our uh, clients. Yeah, for sure. I, that's that's a really good point, James, with the with that piece of it and, and getting them to understand all of that and, and what goes into actually making it work. Like you said, I have people all the time that tell me, well, why does that piece of equipment cost so much more than I can walk into Best Buy and buy it for? I'm like, well, you're not looking at commercial lever gear that's meant to be on. 20 hours a day versus meant to be used two hours a week, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I can take that commercial, I can take that, you know, consumer grade stuff and put it in. And in a year, you'll be writing me a check to replace it all, you know? And I, I one of the things sometimes I struggle with, which can be very tricky um, and finding the right way to, to, to bring this up um, with, with end users and with designers and stuff is when we don't spec the right gear, people still expect me to be able to provide control like a professional piece of gear, but they put in something consumer level and there are just certain things that I can't do that, you know, if I have to switch to IR emulation because that display does not have either LAN control reliably or have 232 control, all I can do is I, if I'm lucky, I have discrete on and off and discrete inputs, but if somebody messes with it locally, I've got no way to know. <laughs> So, yeah. and, uh, and a little side tangent here, um, saying, uh, probably stay tuned cause I'll be probably writing about this shortly if not before this airs, but right now, yeah, we get that with the AV gear. We get that with AV program. We get that with AV gear. No one questions network gear. No one questions computers. No one questions software packages. They're like, Oh, you want to cost uh, charges five grand for that? Okay, whatever. Or, oh, a network switch costs $3,500. You know, I can go to Best Buy and pick one up for $500. they are not doing that. Why are they questioning EV? And that's why I think the whole industry needs to do a better job of, you know, we are valuable and we have our reasons why we do things the way we do them. But you brought up a point earlier, too, which I think really helps elaborate on it though is where we can show our value is in that um interaction and helping to coordinate right a lot of the times the it guys still just brush us off as oh you're just av you're just av you're just av but when i can go in and have an intelligent discussion with him and lay out what i need in the it guy's terms you know tell him why give him the reasons give him all the security details he needs all that all of a sudden now i'm a player in that and i take out the middleman, right? Like end user might still be there and see that, but they know, oh, wait, hold on. I don't have to go back and forth six times with questions from IT to you back to IT and, and show our value there and show, you know, part of the reason why we, we have to charge what we have to charge is, you know, we got to build in that time. Yeah. I'd like to throw out a, an interesting question because I say this a lot too, is that, so programmers 
because they make things look so easy and go so smoothly, unfortunately, people don't value that because they don't see the pain and the effort and all that goes in. And the the better a programmer you are, the better, the more easy, the 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 more seamless you make it. And people, you know, and it, so it's almost like a, a inversely proportional reward, right? Um, so I, I don't know, just want to see if you guys want to comment on that a little bit. Yeah, no, I, oh, go ahead, Brian. After you, James, after you. The only thing that this whole conversation reminds me of, and kind of see nailed it there too, is um, I heard this at a um, graduation, um, a keynote speaker, and I'm sure I probably mentioned this before. Um, I'm sure everyone heard different versions of it is the factory and the screw where there's a factory machine, all the machines stop. The owner of the factory is going nuts. He called a mechanic in mechanic comes in, opens a panel, turns the screw, shuts the panel. Everything fires up factory owner. It's like, you saved us billions of dollars. This is great. How much I owe you. And the tech gives them say a thousand dollars. What a thousand dollars. All you did was turn the screw. How is that a thousand dollars? And the tech was like, no, it was a dollar for turning the screw. It's $999 for knowing which screw to turn. Right. And how much to turn it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're paying for that, all that knowledge, right? That knowledge is our worth in the end. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Ab- I've heard that in a, in a lot of different phrasing, right? Is you, you paid for me to know which button to push. You paid for me to know how to do it in one click, but yeah, I, I mean, I, you're, you're right, Steve. I have, you know, libraries of scripts now to do so many different things. And I'll have a text laptop up on one screen where I'm pushing firmware and I'm loading code. I'm doing it all with a script. So done, you know, I'm still working on code on this other screen and I'm helping somebody else in chat on my third screen and just kind of checking in on each one as they're going. And I don't think I, I actually recently, I'm, I'm very excited about this. I don't know that, that uh, my excitement is translated to the rest of my team. I, I finally got a way to bill multiple projects at the same time. Before it was always a linear, you know, start time, stop time, start time, stop time. And now I can just bill half an hour here, half an hour here, an hour here, four hours here. And so I can bill multiple things at the same time to show, hey, in my eight-hour workday, I actually worked on 12 billable hours worth of stuff. So and I, I feel like it helps our case in a lot of cases, too, to show that, you know, we we need another person or to show that you know, we need some better training in this area because, you know, we're, we're using my time. And, and I, I don't want to sound, I always, I always worry that I'm sounding a, a bit stuck up when I say this, but, you know, for somebody to load firmware and to do that, to take away from my time of producing other stuff, my time, just the way that it gets billed is more expensive than it is for, you know, your, your entry-level tech who's learning, who can, you know, to be shown, here's how we load firmware. I need you to monitor this check it out, let me know when it's done. You know, instead of me having to constantly check back in, it's a much more cost-effective way to do it. And and when we do need to be very conscious of costs to clients, that's how we can do it, right? We can make sure that we're not using, you know, the guy that makes twice as much or builds at twice as much as this person to do that person's job. Yeah, I, I think you hit it right, very well there, Brian, is sometimes... And that's something I actually had a conversation with my team is where I need to get them up. And 
they're learning. They're doing good. This is not a knock on them. I really feel my team is doing good. But there's times I find myself doing some of the daily operations. And now I am a supervisor. And I'm sitting there as like, I have so much I want to do for the team, but I can't do it because I'm doing these daily operations. So there's things I can't get done until my team is at that level where they can handle a lot of the stuff. And they're getting there. Trust me. I Every day I'm offloading stuff I'm doing that they're just handling as they learn and build their skills. So it's great. But it's still, like you're saying, Brian, if you, if you can offload task of just even loading firmware, that allows you to focus on the more complicated code. If you can't do that because you're loading firmware, now complicated code is put to the side. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, well, one of those catch twenty twos. I would like to throw it out to our audience too. You know, what what are some ways that we can demonstrate the that what programmers face in terms of their challenges, but also like like how do we de- show this value that we provide without, like Brian said, having an attitude or being perceived as you know, having an error about us. But there's a lot of things that programmers do behind the scenes that don't often get recognized. And then it's not realized until the programmer isn't in the equation or somebody else has to take their place. Um, I, I think that's where we're going to leave this one, but we're going to continue our conversation with Brian on the next episode. So please stay tuned. But until then, uh, Brian, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about what you're up to, um, learn more about Varex or anything that you want to talk about? Uh, you can find me on most of the socials at B McGrogan. Um, you can learn more about Varix at Varix.com and, and what we do. And if there's anything you need, please reach out and hit the contact us or send me a, a message, send me an email, a direct message, anything. Always happy to chat. And if you also want to check out, Brian's been on a few episodes of A State of Control. So check those two out as well on avnation.tv. Um, James, how could people get in touch with you, uh, learn what you're up to? Um, again, you can Google me. You'll find me. Twitter or X, uh, AV underscore James King, writer for the higher digital magazine, the IT and AV calm and sing Hepma. I'm out there. You'll find me. And for me, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media, my company control concepts at controlconcepts.net. Uh, but what's most important to us is that you uh, follow this uh, podcast. You can, uh, follow us at, at AV programmer pod on, uh, Twitter or X, whatever we want to call it these days. And, uh, but also reach out to us in, in all the other fashions, leave us a rating review. Um, we're on uh, YouTube on the video version and uh, your favorite uh, podcast player uh, audio wise. And uh, we'd like to hear from you. We'd like to have more guests on like Brian, and we'd like to uh, continue to tell the stories that programmers have and, um, and also interact and build community as we've always stood for. Um, So please reach out to us, let us know what you think. And until then, this has been Ask the Programmer.